Well, it is my great privilege to introduce to us our guest speaker both this Sunday and next Sunday. Would you please put a warm welcome together for Andy Bannister. Andy, we are delighted to have you here with us. I heard you preach this morning. I'm so excited. You've come all the way from where? We have come all the way from the United Kingdom to be with you folks this week. For those people who know, whereabouts in the UK are you from exactly? So we live for about an hour outside London, so down in the, uh, down in the south of the country. There, where the, where, the, where the sunshine and the culture is. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Sure, you've offended someone. I don't know. Absolutely, it. it's a great start, isn't it? It's a great start, and you've come, and I'm saying good morning to Astrid. Has joined you as well. Yeah. Give us a wave, Astrid. There's Astrid. Yes. And uh, your kids are up, up there with the other kids. Who are your they, kids? They are indeed. So my kids are. We have Katrina, who is uh, ten, and we have Chris, who is eight. So if you were here last night at uh, at the dinner, we had them on stage, interviewed. Astrid and I were praying hard. They didn't say anything wildly inappropriate, and it was fantastic. <laughs> There's still time. There's, there, trust me, there is still time. Oh, good. Uh, we are so glad, Astrid, that you are here. We are so glad that you are here, Andy. Thank you. Andy can be with us. Astrid, you're going to be joining us for Women Alive as well on Thursday. Uh, so, so much good stuff happening. Uh, Great. Um, I'm so excited to hear from you again. Uh, what's your favourite coffee? Just tell me that. Just a bit more about you. What's your favourite coffee? My favourite coffee? Well, we've had a translation issue this morning because you took me out for coffee and you asked me this and I said I'd love a black Americano. And you were like, let me introduce you to the Australian lingo. So that was, a, I believe that's a... I gave you a long black. A long is black. That, is that right? Pretty close. Pretty All close. Right. But All you right. guys do coffee well in this country. We do. Not like our American cousins. Definitely not. Definitely not. Definitely not. And uh, you are here this week with us. Next week you're in Melbourne. What's happening there? That's right. So I go, we go down to Melbourne on uh, next uh, week tomorrow, and mm -hmm. uh, we are doing a big apologetics evangelism conference there, uh, as well as speaking at Bible colleges. And then I get really excited. My third time in Australia, but I get to go to Tasmania and preach in two weeks' time. So my first time there, they're in Tassie. So we're looking forward to that. That's what we mean by the ends of the earth. The That's ends true. of the okay. world. There, the, there are the Kiwis, mate. So... <laughs> Is that beyond the ends of the year? We don't mention the kids. We no, don't just mention kidding, those. Just uh, we're so excited you're here. Uh, you're going to share a bit about your uh, working with an organisation called Solas. That's right. I'm going to let you talk about Brilliant. that. I won't uh, steal the thunder, but would you pray with me for Andy as he brings God's word and shares journey with us? Thank Heavenly you. Father, we thank you so much for mm. Andy that he can come out mm. this weekend and next Sunday and just share your word. I pray for your Holy Spirit in him as he shares us as we hear that we will not miss out on what you have for us, that you'll fill up us uh, with your word and your spirit right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Amen. Andy. Wonderful. Well, thank you very, very much uh, for that introduction, Langdon. Thank you for the, uh, the warm welcome. It is wonderful to be uh, with you here at the 2023 10th uh, World Missions uh, Conference. We had a fantastic time uh, last night. Boy, do you folks know how to throw a meal, is all I can say. So I can, I can still feel that third dessert sitting down somewhere about here. Very grateful uh, to uh, the church for inviting us to come uh, all the way uh, from, uh, from the UK to be part of the missions conference uh, this, uh, this week. And missions is something that, uh, that as a family we have very much on our hearts. Uh, Astrid and I and the kids, we have served uh, the Lord in uh, three different uh, countries uh, now. Uh, about 10 years or so ago, uh, we were out in Canada. We did six years uh, working on evangelism out there in uh, Canada, based uh, in Toronto. Our kids uh, were born out there, so our kids are dual nationals. Uh, then we served for six years in Scotland, so it was brilliant to have Heather do that flag talk uh, this 
morning. She said to me before the service, she said, oh, I'm nervous now. We've got a Scot in the audience. I went, I'm not Scottish, lives there. Uh, but brilliant job, Heather, uh, on that. And now we are, we are based in, uh, in England, uh, where we head up this ministry called uh, Solas, that is actually originally Scottish. Solas is the Gallic word for, for light. And that's an evangelism and training ministry that covers uh, the UK. Uh, so it's been great to be involved in mission ourselves. But a privilege to be here uh, in Australia with you this week. This is my third uh, visit uh, to your amazing country, second visit for, uh, for Astrid and the, uh, and the kiddos. And I love coming down here to this part of the world because every time I come to Australia, I'm reminded uh, how similar in many ways my culture, Britain and, and Australia, is so many similarities between our, between our countries. Langdon has flagged up the love of coffee, uh, but I also think of the fact that the sense of humor uh, is very similar. We laugh, at, we laugh at similar things. I love the fact that in Australia, as in the UK, the weather is so often uh, the topic of conversation. I love the fact that your politics is as crazy as ours. It's a, it's a close thing, but we could probably compete on that. And of course, there's our shared love of sport. Although given what happened in the cricket a few weeks ago, and given uh, the footy may be the less said about sport, uh, the better. I have to admit to you, uh, my wife is part Swedish. I advised her not to wear her Swedish colors uh, this morning. She's keeping that, uh, that quiet. <laughs> But the other thing that strikes me as I came down here, as we traveled down here uh, for the third time, is I'm struck by how easy it is to get from the UK down to Australia uh, these days. It's pretty easy with international travel. It was not always that way. So back in 1910, there was another World Missions Conference, really famous World Missions Conference, took place in Edinburgh, uh, in Scotland in, in 1910. Thousands of delegates from many, many different countries came together to talk about world mission. Australia sent quite a, de a good-sized delegation to the Edinburgh World Missions Conference. It took them, I think it was six weeks sailing to get to that missions conference back in 1910. Today, you can get from the UK down to Australia in a little over 20 hours flying and about the same time waiting for your bags to arrive at, uh, at the airport. But that reminds us, right, that the world has become smaller in so many ways. In so many ways, the world today is smaller. We have mass transportation. We have mass immigration, and we have the internet. And of course, one of the joys of the internet is you can hear about the English doing badly at cricket in real time on the other side of the world. You don't have to wait for the news to arrive. But here's the thing I find fascinating. Despite the fact the world is smaller uh, in so many ways, despite the fact it's never been easier to travel, despite the fact it's never been easier to find out and learn and hear about news from the other side of the world, in some ways, in some ways, mission has fallen somewhat down the agenda of, uh, of the church uh, in recent years. For example, there was a study done recently uh, revealing that for every, on average, for every $10,000 uh, a Christian earns, on average, just $10 will go to world missions. Um, we spend more on pet food and on Netflix and on snack food, uh, on average, than we do on global missions. And of the five and a half million full-time Christian workers serving globally, only seven and a half percent of those are engaged in some kind of overseas mission. 
So there are some disturbing statistics, some challenging statistics. But there's also wonderful news too, which is that survey after survey shows that Christians, as Christians, as committed Christians, we believe that mission matters. Uh, a recent survey done showed that over 70% of every age group of Christians, when asked, say that they believe mission is incredibly important, that it's valuable, that it really matters. So what explains the disconnect between those two facts? What explains the slight disconnect between the fact that the majority of Christians will say, yes, mission matters, and yet actually the church is not always as engaged as perhaps we could be? Well, I'm fascinated by the fact that the theme for this year's missions conference is unconstrained. That's the title of this year's World Missions Conference of Fig Tree. And so what I want to do in today's message is I want to look at some of the things that perhaps constrain us from mission. What are some of the things that hold us back from being as engaged, as involved, as enthusiastic about mission, both locally and globally, as we might be? And then how do we overcome those? And then next Sunday's message, I want to think about some of the ways that we can get more excited and more enthused and more fired up about mission. Just like lava bursting forth from a volcano when it erupts, so the gospel should burst forth from us. So wonderful is the news of what God has done from us in Christ. Well, when, we, uh, when Astrid and I and Chris and Katrina, when we arrived uh, in Fig Tree uh, back on Thursday, just a few days ago, one of the first things we did, of course, as anyone does arriving in a new town, is we whipped out Google Maps to find out exactly where we were. I mean, I knew that Fig Tree is often mentioned among the, uh, among the great cities and places in Australia. It's mentioned up there with Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane and Wagga Wagga. Um, <laughs> But it was still good to know exactly where we were. So we whipped out our phones and we looked at a little pin on the map. That's one of the joys of modern tech, right? We can find out exactly where we are. We can focus right in. But one of the dangers with modern technology is that sometimes we can zoom in so closely to where we are that we can forget a little bit about actually what is out there in the bigger picture. We can so mediate life through the little black mirrors of our screens that we end up, ironically, not more connected, but less connected. And similarly in our churches, sometimes we can be so wrapped up with what's happening inside our churches that all we end up thinking about is our church, our programs, the four walls of our building, that we miss a little bit about what's going on in the wider world. But the thing I'm reminded of every time I read scripture is that we love and worship and serve a God who loves mission. You cannot read the Bible and miss that God loves mission. If we love God, that means that we are going to want to love the things that he loves, right? Including mission. But we find it hard. We find it tough. We can find it a challenge. And that's what I want to think about a bit this morning. What are those challenges? And we're going to do that with the help of the book of Jonah. We had a great huge chunk of it read to us earlier by uh, Shane. Thank you uh, for doing uh, that for us. And I initially said, let's read the entire book. But we decided that was a little bit too long. So we, we gave you the edited uh, director's cut this morning. And uh, you can perhaps this evening open up the Bible when you're back at home, read the whole thing through. You can go through the book of Jonah in about half an hour. Because although it's a whale of a tale, Sorry, there were some terrible dad puns in the uh, service this morning. Um, although it's a whale of a tale, it is actually one of the shortest books of the Bible, just four chapters. Yet despite the brevity 
of the book of Jonah, there are some brilliant insights in this book into why mission is tough, what some of the challenges can be, some of the constraints, why we can be tempted to neglect it. And in particular, I want to share with you five things that we see here in the book of Jonah, five things we can see that can sometimes hold us back from being more enthusiastic, more engaged, more active when it comes to world missions, whether it is going on world mission or it's giving to world mission. So let's take a look at the first. And the first thing I think we see here in the book of Jonah, the first thing to be aware of is that there is a temptation sometimes that we can get tempted to lack true, full confidence in God and the gospel. And this is writ large, isn't it, in the first chapter of the book of Jonah. That's why when Jonah receives this, this uh, clear call from uh, God to go and preach to the Ninevites, he doesn't exactly respond with enthusiasm. Uh, in fact, he gets on a boat, doesn't he, and he hightails it in literally the opposite direction, which tells us that whatever it is that Jonah believes uh, about God, whatever understanding Jonah has of God and faith, Jonah's understanding does not include the possibility that God might have a plan and a purpose for people like the Ninevites. Now, it's easy to sit here, you know, thousands of years later and be hypercritical of Jonah. We could sit there and go, what was the guy thinking? You know, he was a, you know, he was a terrible example and so on and so forth. But before we start throwing stones at Jonah, ask yourself the question, how might you respond if God gave you a clear and direct call to get on a plane, fly to Russia and go and preach to Vladimir Putin? Would you equally respond with enthusiasm or might you be booking a ticket for New Zealand? Um, how might you respond if God gave you a clear and unquestionable call to go and preach the North Korean military dictatorship? Or how might, God, how might you respond if God called you to go and preach to the Taliban in Afghanistan? Maybe you too might lack the confidence that God knew what he was doing. And God had called Jonah to go and preach to the sworn enemies of Israel, the Assyrians. But it's deeper than just that. It's not just that Jonah has been given this quite tough mission. I think the other issue going on here is that Jonah has constrained his faith to such a degree that Jonah has almost ended up with a God of his own making. He's created this very small version of God. Jonah has in his mind a God whose job is to bless the people who Jonah likes, i.e. the Israelites, and also then to smite the people Jonah doesn't like, i.e the Assyrians. Jo Jonah has ended up with this very narrow view of who God is, and by the way, Jonah has ended up with such a small God of his imagination that Jonah literally thinks he can outrun him by getting on a boat and going in the opposite direction. Now, we too, though, have not dissimilar temptations today in some ways. You know, we live in a culture that encourages us to similarly constrain our faith. Here in Australia, similarly to where I come from in the UK, we live in a culture that says to us, it is perfectly fine to be a Christian as long as you keep that to church and as long as you keep that to home. Whatever you do, don't bring your faith into the marketplace. Don't bring it into the workplace. Don't bring it to school or university. Keep it shut behind the doors of the church. And similarly, just like for Jonah, the, church, the culture encourages us to constrain our faith, to narrow our faith, to construct a small God, a God who is limited in what he can do. That's one way we can have the similar challenges to the ones that Jonah does. 
But the other challenge, I think, to our confidence in the gospel today that I regularly hear, especially from Christians who are uh, younger, who are perhaps at university or starting out their careers, working out there in the marketplace, is there can be a challenge to constrain our faith, to lack our confidence when it comes to the question of how does the gospel work in a world of competing religions and belief systems and ideologies. You know, we live in an age, don't we, that wants to say to us, all religions are effectively the same. I hear this on university campuses all the time. Every path leads to God. All religions are effectively the same. And Christians, we are often accused of being arrogant for wanting to share our faith with Muslims, to preach to Hindus and to Buddhists and so on and so forth. And given that challenge from the culture towards pluralism, it is much easier effectively to go the Jonah route, to say, you know what? I'll stick to my own people. I'll hang out with people who are like me. I'll spend my time with, with Christians or I'll keep my focus very narrow rather than try and reach out to those who believe wildly different things. Yet Jonah, as we see in this book, is a salient reminder because Jonah to us to challenge that ideology because Jonah comes to learn throughout his journey that the God of Israel is not just the God of Israel. The God of Israel is the God of the entire world. And just like Jonah learned that lesson, maybe some of us need that reminder too. In fact, I find it fascinating that when you look in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and when you look at as the first Christians were taking their message of Jesus out uh, to their culture, and as they were looking for a word to describe the message of Jesus, this wonderful new message they had, look at the word they chose. Those first Christians did not choose the word religion. They didn't choose the word belief. They didn't choose the word faith. The word they chose was the word gospel. And of course, the word gospel simply means one thing. It means good news. And the great thing about news, the only thing that matters when it comes to a piece of news is, did it actually happen? And does it mean what you think it means? And if the news of what God has done in Christ is true, it is good news for everybody. It's not just our little local belief system. So that's the first challenge that can hold us back from missions a little bit, having a bigger view of God and a greater confidence in the gospel. Well, the second challenge to world mission that can sometimes constrain us if we're not careful that we see here in the book of Jonah is the whole challenge of parochialism. Parochialism, our tendency uh, to prefer, to be more concerned with our own community, our own tribe, people who look a little bit like us. And again, Jonah's parochialism is all over uh, the entire book, but certainly here in the first chapter of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 1, you see this tremendous irony in the book, uh, in that the, pa the pagans in Jonah chapter 1 behave more admirably than Jonah. If you notice this, the, the, the pagan sailors, they are the ones working hard to save the ship. They're the ones trying to overcome the storm. They're the ones praying to their false gods. While Jonah, what's Jonah doing? Well, he's lying in the bottom of the ship. He can't even be bothered to pray, and he's fast asleep. Whereas it's the pagans who are actually doing all the hard work at this point. We see the same theme later in the book, where in chapters 3 and 4, it's the pagans repenting of their sins, it's the pagans who turn to the Lord, it's the pagans who do the right thing, while Jonah sits under a tree and has a screaming hissy fit at the goodness of God. And as, uh, as the author and pastor Tim Keller in his book on Jonah puts it, he said, the book of Jonah is divided into two 
symmetrical halves. We have the records of Jonah's flight from God, and then we have the record of Jonah's mission to Nineveh. In both cases, his behavior is dismissive, it's unhelpful, while the pagans uniformly, uniformly act more admirably than he does. And this is one of the main messages of the book of Jonah, namely that God cares how we believers relate to those people who are deeply different from us. I wonder though, I sometimes wonder if a not dissimilar parochialism uh, to Jonah's can constrain us from mission. You know, the digital world in which many of us spend huge amounts of our time these days, it's even easier to be tribal. You can hang out uh, with people just like you. You can watch, read, l listen to people who are just like you. Or we can spend so much time on our church activities that we don't see the non-Christians around us. The walls of the Christian subculture can close in on us just like the wooden walls of the ship's hold where Jonah was hiding out. That's a, perhaps a challenge to all of us to ask the question, how many non-Christians are we interacting with in our everyday lives? But there's another subtle way that parochialism uh, can affect us today especially, and it's the temptation also pushed on us by our culture to buy into the whole post-colonial guilt thing and view missions through that lens. Um, here we are in Australia, which was once part of the great British Empire. And as the saying goes, the sun never set on the British Empire because not even God trusted the British in the dark. <laughs> Thank you, there were one or two people laughing very loudly at my country. But the serious point is that I meet many people today, especially some younger Christians, who are quite nervous about mission in that context. How on earth can we think about taking the gospel to foreign countries and interfering in their culture, given the terrible way that the Europeans behaved in the past, colonizing whole countries like Africa or Australia? And so I meet some in the church who will almost view missions with suspicion, and certainly in our wider culture, the missions is viewed with suspicion, given our past, how can we really think about spreading Christianity today in other cultures? Well, a wonderful challenge uh, to that viewpoint comes from the African theologian, Lamin Sana, who wrote a wonderful little book a few years ago called Whose Religion is Christianity? And that book shatters that idea. He points out with joy in that book that the church is growing spectacularly in places like Asia, it's growing spectacularly in countries like Africa, and as he observes, all of that growth happened post-colonialism. It happened actually after the colonial period ended. And so he writes, Christianity belongs to all cultures. Christianity is the religion of over 2,000 different language groups in the world. More people pray and worship in more languages in Christianity than in any other religion in the world. And the point we can miss too is this, in the ancient world, religion and race were directly connected. In the ancient world, where you came from determined the religion that you followed. But then along came Christianity and exploded onto the scene uh, in the opening years of the, of the common era and turns that idea upside down with its radical claim that the God of the Bible is the God of the entire world. And the great news of the gospel and an impetus to mission is that truth that the gospel is too good to keep to ourselves because it is by its very nature a global message. 
So we've looked at the challenge of confidence, we've looked at the challenge of parochialism. Our third challenge to mission that I think we see here on the pages of Jonah and is a, a wake-up call maybe to some of us today is a fear of difference. A fear of difference. That can hold us back sometimes from world mission. Now this is a big issue for Jonah. Throughout the book of, uh, of Jonah, one of his massive problems that we see is Jonah is afraid, afraid of people who are racially, culturally and religiously very different to him. Notice, for example, in chapter 1, verse 9, uh, when Jonah is asked about himself, he puts his national identity first. The first thing he says is his race, I'm a Hebrew. And then under that comes his religious identity, I'm a worshipper of the Lord. And today, if we're not careful, we can be tempted to do the same thing in subtle ways. We can mix our religion and our politics or we can find ourselves identifying as Australian or, or British first before we identify as Christians, or if we're not careful, we can become even that little bit dismissive or fearful of those who are very different to us. This, by the way, is especially the case, I think, today when it comes to one of the world's great mission challenges, and that's the whole challenge of Islam. You know, I regularly meet many Western Christians who are afraid or nervous or even hostile when it comes to Islam. And I understand those fears. Those fears are often driven by fear of extremism, uh, fear of large numbers of Muslims immigrating uh, into the West, fear of a, a, a religion that is missionally very, very confident. And that fear uh, of, a, of an Isla of religion like Islam may be behind the bizarre statistic uh, that there are more, the countries with the most Christians actually receive the most missionaries. For example, there are 20,000 foreign missionaries in Brazil, yet there are only 1,000 foreign missionaries there in Bangladesh. Now, I recognize that fear because when I was younger, I used to also be very nervous and fearful uh, when it came to Islam. But what changed my view was getting involved in missions on the streets of London. In the late 1990s, early 2000s, I began getting involved in street evangelism uh, there in my home city. And as I began actually talking to Muslims and engaging with them and sharing my faith with them, I actually really fell in love with that people group. And now I would say I have Muslims to thank for my being an evangelist. It was them that motivated me into mission. And I love the opportunity of engaging with Muslim people there and really seeing God at work among Muslims. And that fear that uh, many of us have, some of us have in the church, about a group like Muslims who are so different to us, can also, if we're not careful, cause us to miss the amazing work that God is actually doing. In fact, it's often been missed uh, that uh, millions of Muslims have come to faith in recent years. If you want to get a grip on that story, the book, the book from a few years ago, A Wind in the House of Islam, is a wonderful uh, survey of what God is doing in Muslim countries worldwide and the great harvest that's going on there. And one of my fun statistics, in fact, is the church that is growing the fastest in the world right now is not here in the West, but is actually in Iran where there are over one million Christians now in the Iranian church. And that number is growing by, get this, 20% a year is the current growth rate of the church in Iran. That in a country that is number eight on the Open Doors World Watch List in terms of persecution of Christians. So three things so far that can hold us back from mission, lack of confidence in the gospel, 
parochialism, perhaps a fear of those who are very different from us. Penultimate one I want to look at this morning uh, is a love of comfort can sometimes be a bit of a constraint on ours, our, our passion and enthusiasm uh, when it comes to mission. And we see this again uh, writ large in the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah loved his comforts. He had a pretty good gig uh, up until Jonah chapter 1. He was a prophet in Israel, surrounded by his own people. He had the, presumably the reputation and the authority, the platform that went with that. And when the mission called to Nineveh comes, Jonah does not want to give up uh, his easy life in Israel. He didn't want the risk. He didn't want the challenge of going to Nineveh. And then, of course, at the end of the book, after his successful mission to Nineveh, when you'd think he'd be celebrating and rejoicing, well, the comfort issue again comes along. And that massive hissy fit there in Jonah chapter 4 is triggered by the mild discomfort of an inconvenient worm and a bit of sunstroke. Now, again, it's very easy to be unfair on poor old Jonah. It's easy to look at Jonah and think, mate, what gives? But then is it also not tempting for us as Western Christians to get at times just that little bit hooked on a comfortable life? We can get addicted to how easy life is here in Australia or the UK. And world mission, even the prospect of going somewhere radically different or reaching out beyond our comfort zones can just sound that a little bit too intimidating, much easier to stay where we are. But then as we look through the Bible, and through church history, we see God is always calling his people out. God is always calling his people out. He did it with Abraham. We saw that in Hebrews, uh, that second reading we had this morning. He did it with Jonah. He did it with the apostles in the book of Acts. He did it with the early church. In fact, throughout church history, God has always been nudging, or in some cases, frankly, giving a kick up the rear end to his people to get them out of their safe huddles and on to the mission field. Perhaps my all-time favorite Australian uh, in history is the Baptist preacher F.W. Boreham. Boreham was a British guy originally. He was commissioned as a pastor uh, in England, aged just 23 in the late 1800s. He got on a boat in the UK, sailed the six-week journey uh, down to this part of the world where he knew absolutely nobody. For 10 years, pastors in New Zealand before coming here to Australia for 30 years. He was a prolific preacher and an evangelist, a missionary, a writer. His books influenced millions, and he was responsible. God used him to lead probably tens of thousands of Australians to Christ. But throughout his life down here, he struggled with being so far from home. It was not easy. Not dissimilarly, when Astrid and I and the family, well, well, before the family came along, when Astrid and I were called to Canada in 2010, moving to Toronto was one of the hardest things I've done in my life called to leave home and family, friends, country, culture for a city where we knew nobody. Mission was not comfortable, but wow, was it worth it for the joy of seeing God at work. And as God perhaps nudges us out of our comfort zones or perhaps pushes us firmly out of our comfort zones, I'm always reminded that God is not asking us to do anything he himself hasn't done. Because in the New Testament, in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul points out that in everything, in, in our life of service and ministry, we are called to follow the example of Christ, who left the comfort and the glory and the safety of his Father's side, took on the very nature of a servant in order to uh, rescue us and win us into relationship with God. The God who calls us to mission is the God himself who has been on mission. 
Well, finally, fifthly, briefly, one last thing that can perhaps hold us back from mission. The fifth thing that can constrain us if we are not careful, and that's the sense of inadequacy that can often infect us or hold us back. When we start thinking about mission, whether it's mission at home or abroad, we find ourselves asking questions like, could God really use me? Could God really use me? How could he use me? I'm, I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too inexperienced. I'm, I'm too timid. I'm too short. Whatever, whatever the list is, it goes on and on and on. Yet one of the beauties of the books of Jonah, of the book of Jonah, is every time I read the book of Jonah, I am reminded of the amazing facts that if God can use Jonah, God can use anybody. If God can use Jonah, God can use anybody. I mean, here is a guy who disobeys. He runs away, he cowers, he grumbles, he argues with God. When he finally gets to where he's supposed to be, he preaches arguably the world's worst sermon. Five words is all he preaches in the Hebrew, in the, in the, in the Hebrew language. Yet God still used him as a missionary. And as Glenn Scrivener uh, puts it, he said, The great evangelist of the Bible is not Jonah, it's the Lord. And that is great news. Because by the Spirit, the Lord continues to reach uh, out through rubbish evangelists like Jonah and like me and like you. And as you seek to share your faith with others today, take heart. Nothing can thwart God's gospel mission to the ends of the earth. Not even you can thwart it. Because salvation comes from the Lord. So those are five of the temptations that can perhaps constrain us at times from mission. A lack of confidence in the gospel, a, a temptation to be a little bit parochial, fear or nervousness of those who are different, our love of our comforts, or that doubt that God could use somebody like me. How do we move forward as we draw the threads together this morning? Well, the first step, I think, is the very act of recognizing those temptations. If some of those things I've shared this morning resonate and you sit there and think, yeah, just, a, just occasionally I'm inclined towards that one, well, recognizing that, that temptation, uh, recognizing what has perhaps, perhaps become an idol in your life is a great start. You can lay that down at the foot of the Lord. You can repent of the way that thing has taken a hold in your life and held you back and hand it over to him. Indeed, as the famous missionary Jim Elliot, martyred in 1956 by Weodani tribes people, once wrote in his journal, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. We can never lose things if we lay them down at the foot of the cross because what we gain is infinitely more. Secondly, the other great way to overcome some of these temptations that can constrain us from mission is to be inspired by that great cloud of witnesses uh, that we were reminded of as uh, we had Hebrews read to us earlier. The Lord has given us a tremendous cloud of witnesses when it comes to mission, whether it's biblical figures like Abraham or, or Jonah, warts and all. Whether it's the first Christians, as you read the book of Acts, and you see the amazing way God worked through that rich variety of people there, or if it's the amazing story of missions history. You know, one of the most inspiring things 
uh, in terms of missions, I think that Astrid and I have done uh, with our kids is introduce Chris and Katrina from a young age to missions stories and missions history. So if you have children uh, today, or if you have grandchildren, take the opportunity to do the same thing. There are some great resources uh, out there that enable you to do that. There are books like uh, Everyone a Child Should Know is a wonderful introduction for really tiny kids to world missions, or the amazing Christian Heroes Then and Now series. Let's get younger ones in our lives excited about mission and ourselves too as we look at that great cloud of witnesses. But then thirdly and finally, we should meditate on the depth of the gospel. Meditate on the depth of the gospel because the more that you appreciate the wonder of what God has done for you in Christ, the more that you reflect and you grasp the length and the depth and the breadth and the height of God's love for us demonstrated in Jesus, the more that just naturally has to overflow into wanting to share that with those around us. And then, as we do that, then we can repeatedly and prayerfully ask the question, am I ready to go wherever the Lord would send me? Am I ready to go whether he wants to send me to my friends around the corner, to my immediate neighbors, to my community, to the other side of the country, or even, for some of us, to the other side of the world? You know, it's interesting that the book of Jonah ends with a cliffhanger. But if you notice that, as Shane read to us in the last section, Jonah chapter 4, it ends with a cliffhanger because God reminds Jonah of just how concerned he is about the world. He reminds Jonah of his love even for Jonah's enemies. And then the book ends. We have no idea how Jonah responds to the Lord. It just ends on that cliffhanger with God's question to Jonah, should you not be concerned, should I not be concerned, hanging in the air. And I often wonder whether the reason that God inspired uh, that book to be written with that cliffhanger ending is as you read it, it forces us to ask the question, how will I respond? How am I going to respond to the challenge of mission? You see, the wonder of the gospel is that God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. And the wonder of mission is that God doesn't take it wholly upon his own shoulders to do that work of mission, but he calls us, and he calls us brokenness and mess and all. In fact, I often think it shouldn't be so much missiology as messiology, given that God chooses to work through chaotic human beings. Because what God wants is not our perfection, but what God wants is our availability. It's not our ability God is after, but our availability. So why don't we all take the time regularly to pray that bold prayer, here I am, Lord, send me. And then let's be open to wherever God chooses to send us, whether it's around the corner, around the country, or around the world. Because the great lesson of the book of Jonah is no matter how much baggage and chaos you're dragging with you, God can use you if you'll make yourself available to him. Let me pray for you, and then uh, the worship band are going to come back up. Father God, I thank you so much uh, that uh, you can use anybody. Thank you for, for inspiring that book of Jonah there in the, in the Bible to remind us that we do not need to be perfect or wholly have it together, but if we make ourselves available, you can work through any of us, mess and brokenness and all. Lord, forgive us for the times that although perhaps in our heads we know that mission matters, but in our hearts we put all kinds of obstacles and obstructions in the way. Forgive us for those things that sometimes become idols 
in our life, whether it's confidence or comfort or whatever it is. Lord, over this uh, week of the missions conference here at Fig Tree, would you inspire us afresh with how incredible the news of the gospel is? Uh, Give us a glimpse of your love for our non-Christian friends and neighbors, our community and the nations. And Lord, would you call us uh, to go beyond our comfort zones? Would each one of us here have the courage and the obedience to pray that prayer? Here I am, Lord, send me. And then would you use us, maybe even this week, to reach those that you bring across our path who do not know you. Thank you that you are the missionary God who in Jesus reached us. And now would you send us out to reach others with that incredible news of hope and forgiveness and salvation. And we pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen.